I have moments, right? We all do. But I think one of the first things that I did was I accepted my circumstances for what they were. And I believe that that's a mantra that I kind of have had for a long time is, okay, you can dwell on it for five minutes, but that's about it, right? So give yourself that five minutes and, and, and deal with it, but then move on because that energy isn't going to do you any good. Welcome to Community Good, the podcast that shares powerful lessons to help you navigate the life you want. I'm your host, Marnie Andes. In this episode, you'll hear from Melissa Carpenter, a seasoned HR leader who began experiencing a left-hand tremor and other symptoms at only 37 years old, and just two years later, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Not only is she a recent inductee into the Lincoln East High School Athletic Hall of Fame for gymnastics, She's also far from the typical demographics of Parkinson's patients, which is men over the age of 50. What you'll learn is that Melissa is navigating her Parkinson's journey, just like her professional journey, with curiosity, courageous leadership, and above all, extreme gratitude. And now, my conversation with Melissa Carpenter. Melissa, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast. I'm, I'm really really looking forward to people hearing more from you in today's episode. Great. I'm, a, I'm so excited to be here as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Melissa. I, I have to share the story with you. I know it was a, I think it's been a few years back that I heard a song and uh, I think I sent it to you as a link through Facebook because I was like, it took me back to college days and how I remembered you. But this is something that I got to thinking about before knowing that we were going to record today, which was, I just remember you were a person that embodied what you see is what you get. And I loved everything about that. So it was so easy to know you. It was easy to be friends with you. And it's, it's funny because it doesn't surprise me that the career that you pursued has something about educating and supporting the development of others, because I just found that to be who you are. So I'd love before we get into the bulk of what we're going to be talking about today for you just to share more about your career and what led you down that path. Yeah, well, I'd love to share that. Um, I I will say that that is an incredibly um, thoughtful uh, reminder of those wonderful college years. So um, it was, it's fun. I would say um, that my career was probably chosen for me in third grade when I mediated my first or my first um, friend fight on the playground. Um, I just didn't know what human resources was at the time. Uh, but I, you know, I tell people too when I'm when I'm training in leadership that I've been um, dealing with difficult people my whole life. And and if you think about that and reflect on that for yourself personally, so have you. So we all have. We've all been dealing with difficult people our whole life. It's how we've figured out how to manage and. Um, through those processes. And, and I think I'm just really passionate about that and helping people grow um, in that particular field. Um, I started, I went to the University of Nebraska. Uh, my first job out of college was uh, recruitment. And so I worked for a technical consulting firm and did recruitment and got that side of human resources. Um, and then I kind of moved into the training and organizational development and stayed in that, that lane for quite a while. Uh, and then went into more of a generalist role, worked for prof for profit and nonprofit organizations um, and and had what I loved about the nonprofit is is they're so mission driven 
um, and found my passion with with that. And I ended up um, in a healthcare system as an HR director, um, where I get the best of both worlds. You know, there's a lot of resources available to be able to to um, do human resources well and to make sure that we're really focusing on employees and giving back to our employees as best as we can, growing and developing them, but also just appreciate them and recognizing them in ways. But what I think I do the best and what I love about my job and the work that I do every day is helping leaders and helping people deal with difficult situations um, and and how to really focus on the you know the outcomes of a positive outcome versus all the negative that we tend to get into that pit of despair. Um, and I just really appreciate and have have loved the opportunity over the years to really help um, people see that you know working with people and and changing mindsets can really help people grow and, and have better outcomes in the end. And so that's what I what I'm passionate about doing from a human resources perspective. Well, it's so insightful, even just what you shared here at the beginning of the podcast, which is we've all we've all had to deal with difficult situations and difficult conversations. You're right. I think, you know, they used to say that everybody should have to wait tables at one point in their career. I'm wondering if everybody should also spend time in HR. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> that's the that's the new ask of people. But, I, you know, where we're going to spend the majority of our conversation today is around a difficult situation that you've had to navigate, which is learning of your diagnosis with Parkinson's disease, which is interesting. And I know you're going to give a lot of details around all of this, but it's a, it's a disease that's been predominantly for older men is usually what you see. And for a younger female like yourself to be faced with all of it, just your journey to, to hearing the news and knowing that you have this and that you're going to be navigating this now. Yeah, you are. You're correct. It's definitely wasn't on my radar um, as most people that deal with any type of diagnosis or anything. You know, it's not something you're necessarily prepared for. Um, but yeah, so my journey began, I was uh, I would say at 38, um, the age of 38, where I was having a lot of pain in my shoulder um and just one one shoulder and i was a i was a gymnast so um and yes that was a very long time ago but i thought oh maybe it's just arthritis or something from from all of the gymnastics so um sought out some some help from from orthopedic surgeons and had surgery and um you know the pain was still there it improved but it was still there so through physical therapy though however i started to get um, sort of just a, just a twitch in my finger and it would just kind of kind of just continue to just twitch, which was interesting and, and annoying. But again, I wasn't too concerned about it through physical therapy. Then I did an additional three months of physical therapy and noticed some other things in the left side that weren't working quite as well, shrugging my shoulder. I couldn't do that. Then the, the finger twitch turned into the kind of like my whole hand started to, to twitch into tremor when I activated the muscles and just was kind of bizarre. Um, I of course thought because of the timing of it, I, I of course thought it had to do with the surgery, not that the surgeons did anything wrong, um, but just that something happened. Maybe there was something from a, a nerve perspective that got that, that happened that is causing this tremor is what I started calling it. Cause that's really what it felt like was a tremor a twitch that turned into a tremor and my uh, physical therapist was the one who kind of started thinking you know started the thinking of i think it's something i don't think it's orthopedic i think it's something in the brain and i dismissed it 
I was convinced that it had something to do with the shoulder surgery. Um, again, not that anything went wrong, but that it had to, that was what, what had happened. So I went back to orthopedics. I went back to I sought, sought out a second opinion in orthopedics. They did nerve conductions. They did all of these things to rule all of that out. Um, all agreeing that something was wrong. Something wasn't triggering right, but they couldn't quite figure out what it what it was. And so I gave up on it um, for quite a while. You know, you get frustrated. It's not the doctors are telling you that there's nothing wrong with you, but they just can't figure out. There's nothing that they have x-rays, you know, any scans, any other tests that they're doing is not directing them to any type of diagnosis or problem. So that's so frustrating, right? Because you know something's wrong. Something isn't working right. But, but the people that you expect would be able to figure that out aren't figuring it out. So I actually gave up on it for quite a while. I don't know how long, but I was I had a sinus infection and I went to my general doc um, in, in Lincoln and um, for a sinus infection to get meds for that. And he just he's known me a long time, um, which I think always helps. But uh, he noticed the tremor um, was pretty active on my left arm. And he's he just said, that's not why I was in there. But he said, what's going on? Why do you have this tremor? And I and I laughed. I said, oh, that's just my tremor. It's no big deal. And he kind of stopped and in a very, very calm manner says, Melissa, that's not that's not something that's normal, right? For a 39 year old, you know, woman to say that it's just my tremors, what's going on. And he asked for kind of some backstory and what I'd been doing. And he suggested I meet with a neurologist. So I was like, okay, I trust, obviously trust him implicitly. And I thought, you know, it, it is annoying, right? So, you know, I started, my daughter was calling it my shivers and I would laugh about it. And I would, I would talk to my team about, you know, if I ever have a double S on, on like if as it turns into ass, it's because it's my it's my stutter finger. You know, we we joke around about it. It was kind of funny, ha ha. But the reality was that I probably did need to figure out what was going on. It was kind of progressing. So I went to a neurologist, and um, in that I went by myself again, thinking it's probably just something, you know, from the surgery or or something minimal. And he did a lot of tests. And at the end, I was just sitting there and he and he said, OK, well, I think the next steps we've got it. We've got to do this test, um, a brain. There's a the nerve conduction. We've got to do a brain scan, MRI. We and um, one other thing. And I can't really remember what the other thing was. But and I said, OK, well, what are you what are you thinking? He's like, well, we need to rule out ALS, MS, a brain tumor um, and, and maybe Parkinson's. And I thought. And then he so then he started like just getting his equipment out to do the nerve the nerve conduction and I just was like that was the first moment of just like panic I think is I'm thinking it's like I've got I told him I kind of laughed I said I'm sorry you're gonna have to you're gonna have to say that again because what I thought you just told me again I I'm here by myself I've got two small children is that I could possibly have ALS or MS or a brain tumor and he's like. Yeah, that's what we're, we have to rule those out. And I, I just I couldn't in that moment, I just felt like. What does that mean now to put some context, my father um, has one of his had one of his his best friends, a guy that he golfed with all the time and whom he considered one of his best friends had had recently passed from ALS. So I had seen and heard that journey um, and how horrific that was. And so that's what immediately went into my head. So. And I, it's important for me to 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 tell tell you this because 
that's all part of my mindset throughout this journey that I think the reason why my mindset is where it is today is because of how that all kind of unfolded. So um, did all the tests, started checking things off. And, and by the time I got the Parkinson's diagnosis, I was like, thank the Lord. It was a relief because all the other possible diagnoses seemed so incredibly daunting that I couldn't even get my brain to wrap around the concept of having any of those other diseases or disorders. And so um, for, for me, when I, when he finally just says, well, you don't have ALS, you don't have MS, you don't have, there's no lesions, there's no brain tumors. um, So I'm going to go with Parkinson's. I thought, all right, I can do that. Right. I mean, it's annoying. It's, you know, yeah, it's a progressive disorder, but I might shake a little bit. I might have a, a you know hard time walking, but it's not going to kill me, right? It's something I can live with for a very long time. So I felt a lot of relief with that diagnosis. However, I did say, Doc, I, I trust you, um, but I still want a second opinion. <laughs> so I did seek second. And he said, I mean, he even said, he goes, if you were my daughter, I would totally do the same thing. You're, you do not fit the box of what a, a, a normal person that with Parkinson's would be, you know, which is the 65 year old male. Um, so I would de- definitely recommend, and he gave me a few names and I ended up going up to Omaha where there's a lot more specialty in the neuromuscular world um, disorders. So, so that was the start. I didn't start meds or anything at that point. I wanted to seek out a second opinion. The second and third opinion, um, were conflicting. So that was also difficult because one of the uh, first for early onset Parkinson's, one of the first, um, symptoms for most people is what they call a masked face, which basically means it's um, you lose expression in your face there. Um, and it's a really a kind of a telling symptom for Parkinson's. And I still had a lot of expression in my face. Um, and so they thought, well, that's not fitting the box. And then one of the other things that is, um, you know, one of the first symptoms is just balance control, balance issue, balancing issues with Parkinson's. And so I had great balance still at this point. And um, like, you know, in fact, better than they thought they had. Right. And they were laughing. And, and so then we had to go into the whole, well, I was a gymnast and all of that. And so um, clearly that helped with, with, you know, be, me being able to still have some, some balance in me because I had had that in my, you know, history and my, the, the muscle memory was still there, but the, the arm swing, there were some pretty telling signs that could, they understood why the diagnosis was what it was. Cause I did have a visible tremor. Um, and I didn't, you know, my arm didn't swing when I walked and there were some other things that they noticed with, with, um, with my leg, uh, some spasticity and stuff like that. So there were some things that kind of pointed in that direction. They called it like Parkinsonisms. Um, so they wanted to continue to do some testing in the meantime, some physical therapy. So I did that. There is a brain scan called a DAT scan. That is what, um, they ended up say my, the neurologist said, I don't think you have Parkinson's, but we should probably rule it out with a DAT scan. So, um, I thought, well, that's, that's probably the right move. So, um, we did the DAT scan and the DAT scan came back saying that, um, I did have Parkinson's, which he was pretty surprised by. Um, but at least there was a, 
you know, kind of a more of a definitive. Now, the DASCAN is not necessarily looked at or viewed as a definitive diagnosis, but it's certainly one that makes you go, yeah, it's more than likely um, Parkinson's, which then I started the medications and have, have been on that journey since. But, um, you know, I think then that was six years ago. So I was 40 years old when I got the diagnosis um, and have been living with that diagnosis ever since. Um, and again, in, in part, feel really blessed for it. It is my story. And I know that there are people that, that, that struggle and get diagnosed with things much, much worse and have to endure a lot, a lot more difficult trying things. I respect that. And I, and I understand that, you know, um, and I feel blessed that what I have is something that I can manage. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not difficult and that I don't have bad moments. Um, I try not to have bad days um, because I just don't let myself have that kind of energy for, for a full day. But I do have bad moments that may last more than a minute. Um, but um, it's it's a struggle. But I think the other thing that has been um, so important that I feel is um, a huge blessing for me is is my my tribe, the people that I surround myself with and that have cheerleaded me on through this journey and supported me. And it's not easy to be the caregiver or to be the loved one of somebody going through this process, but also um, trying to deal with a, 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 a diagnosis that is progressive. Right. So um, not and not knowing what that means. I mean, with Parkinson's, they say if you meet one person with Parkinson's, you meet one person with Parkinson's because everybody's di everybody's symptoms are different and their progression is different. For me, it only has really impacted my left side up until recently. It's starting to move to the right side, um, but I've been pretty lucky that my right side is my dominant side, so I can still I've still been able to write. Now I can't read my writing anymore. It's definitely impacted that, but I can still type. I can still do a lot of things. Um, with my right side and my movement is still pretty um, normal ish um, on the right side. So um, but that's not everybody's story. And some some people get diagnosed and they, their progression is way faster. Um, so I feel really lucky that mine has been relatively slow um, and I've been able to manage it with medications so far. Um, and right now, what I, I would say that the, you know, some of the things that people don't always know about Parkinson's. They can see the visible. They can tell when, when you're sitting across from me, you can see that I visibly tr have tremor or I, I have a, a natural pull to my arm that pulls it in towards the body um, because that's the dystonia. I also have dystonia. Um, my walk is a little wonky. I might run into a, a corner here and there, um, but you know those are the visible symptoms. Um, but what people don't always know or um, Parkinson's patients don't really talk about are the non-visible symptoms that it can can sometimes be the more debilitating ones, um, which I think is important for education for people to, to know. I think the hardest symptoms, the hardest or probably the most alarming symptom for me is the apathy. Um, I I mean, I've had a complete personality shift. I'm I'm the same person, but yet I'm I feel different and my best friends will tell me, you know, I remember that I was sitting on a girl's trip. I go on a girl's trip with two of my best friends every year. And on one of the trips, I acknowledged like, do you guys like, I feel different. Like, I feel like I'm kind of more like less filter and Marnie, like you said at the beginning, I'm not one to have a filter. So it's even more so now. <laughs> and they both were just kind of sitting there looking. And then finally they're like, I'm so glad you said something because yes, you have, to it's totally, you are different. 
but of course they're like, but we love this new Melissa and we love, you know, we love that you just say it like it is. And, um, you know, if you don't want to do something, you don't do it. Like, and that's one of the things that I think has been hard and challenging, but also it's like freeing to, in a way, like, um, but the not wanting to like socialize, um, finding the energy to, 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 um, go out and, and meet new people and, and be in a room where I can, um, just learn and grow with, with, with new people is something I used to really enjoy doing. And now I just really struggle with that. Um, once I get in it, into it, it's okay, but getting myself to actually go is a lot more difficult. So the apathy, it's just the, just the kind of the melancholy of like, I don't want to do that. So I'm just not going to do it. Um, I have to force myself sometimes to, to make sure that I still maintain some sort of social activity because it's really important. Um, but that's been hard. And then the, um, the lethargy, just the energy level is, is down quite a bit. And those are, those are parts of the, um, Parkinson's that people don't always really know that it's just your, your, your body is basically moving all the time. So, um, it never really ever relaxes. It's always moving against, like if you have somebody, if you're holding your hand out in front of you and you have somebody pushing against you and you're trying to resist against their hand, that's what basically Parkinson's feels like for me all the time. And so it's exhausting and it's your, it exhausts your body um, to a level that I guess I'd never really experienced. And so that's been a challenge and I've had some struggles with sleep. I've had some struggles with depression and some of those things as well but have been able to to figure out remedies for those um, so that I'm in a good place now. Um, but I think that um, the the other the other piece that I think is also really important or interesting, people think it's interesting um, about Parkinson's and and really, I'm, I'm learning that there's other medications that do this too, not just for Parkinson's, but um, the dyskinesias, which um, is kind of a rolling of the body that's actually caused by the medication, not the Parkinson's. So like, I think Michael J. Fox is a good example. Um, if you see Michael J. Fox and you can see that he's kind of has like a rolling in, in his shoulder and his movements. Um, some of that is of course Parkinson's, but some of that or a lot of that is actually a reaction to the Parkinson's medication that causes additional movement issues um, that are called dyskinesias. Now, why it's kind of like you have to balance one or the other. So in order for Michael J. Fox, because this is a good example for him to be able to, to speak and have an interview, the, to be able to use the function of his mouth and to be able to speak through a, an hour long interview, he has to really up his meds to be able to do that. So upping the meds would co will cause more dyskinesia, um, more, more rocking and swaying. So there's gonna be more distraction from the rocking and swaying, but that gives him the ability to actually to, to speak through the interview. Whereas if he drops his meds down, it might relax the dyskinesia, but he's not gonna be able to articulate his words as well for people to understand him. So there's just kind of this balance of trying to figure out, yeah, you can up your meds, but there's also some, some reactions to those meds that may not be in your favor either, which then started me down the journey of DBS. So DBS is a deep brain stimulation. Um, it is a, a device that's put into um, your body. So there's a battery pack they put in your chest cavity and then they, they wire the, the, they put wires up to your brain and they um, it's, it, they, they say it's a lot like a pacemaker. 
um, that is more people understand kind of more of the concept of what the pacemaker is, but it's similar to that in theory, but it's for the brain for um, um, several different things, but Parkinson's is one of them. So I'm on that journey right now. And um, to to make the decision, I mean, I it's a process. It's a there's a 95 percent success rate with with DBS surgery. Um, and I think the reason for that is because of the, the process leading up through it. You have to really um, go through a lot of different different tests and, and the, they do a neuropsych test. They do MRIs. They do like next week I'm going in and having my inpatient where they take me off all my meds, do lots of tests and then put me back on all my meds and test me again. And and after that, um, then they'll make a determination on whether or not I'm a good candidate for DBS. And then then it starts the whole process of is it the right thing for me um, and is it something that I want to move forward with? And so um, that's kind of the next stage in my in my um, journey uh, of Parkinson's that I'm definitely looking forward to, but also really nervous about. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, this journey, I've you know, I know when you started talking about it uh, on Facebook and sharing more about it. And then I, have, of course, have had the. The inside conversation with you even prior to recording to learn more about it. I think there's so many pieces, which is it, there's things that even you mentioned are just, I think, misunderstood. I mean, even the example you just gave about Michael J. Fox and, you know, what I before talking with you, what I perceived was happening and the movements and hearing that it's a response to the medication that he has to up in order for him to have those. I mean, even things like that has been eye-opening to me, having not known prior to knowing you what really this disease entails. And I think what's really endearing, but also really interesting about your story is the, your use of the words grateful and blessing, I don't think many people would associate. I, the story makes a ton of sense. You thought it could be worse. But I wonder, you know, for what we don't see and what you've already shared, I mean, what are some of the other things that you've really tapped into to be grateful and feel blessed with, with this? So I think I will say that there's a lot of... Um, correlation to what I've learned in my career um, and just who I, I think just who I am as a person that made that have made this probably more um, it's hard to answer Marty because people ask me all the time they're like you there's something about you that how are you so positive about it you, you just seem to like just take it as it is and then just roll with it and I don't I can't pinpoint how that happened or or it, or how, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily wake up and make a choice, which I think some people have to do, um, which again, I feel lucky that, that I don't, that I don't have to every day remind myself to make a different choice. Now I do, it. I have moments, right? We all do. But I think one of the first things that I did was I accepted my circumstances for what they were. And I believe that um, that's a mantra that I kind of have had for a long time is okay you can you can dwell on it for five minutes but that's about it right so give yourself that five minutes and 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 deal with it but then move on because that energy isn't going to do you any good um i have definitely learned that dwelling on on some of those what ifs or the negatives or i wish i could have or i should have done it different it doesn't do anything 
there's no there's nothing productive about that at least from my experience i spent a lot of years wishing i would have done things differently or or regretting certain decisions or gosh i man that's embarrassing why did i do that but that got me nowhere in fact it just kind of kept me into this like negative space and so i think doing a lot of work and self-reflection over the years, which if you work in HR, self-reflection is something that we do all the time because that's part of our learning and growth. And so I think the self-reflection just um, process that I had already, already adopted as a professional, I think helped me in this. You know, I I immediately accepted the circumstance and um, started thinking about what I could control because I couldn't control the part. I couldn't control the Parkinson's, right? That's out of my control. So there are some circumstances you can control and there's some that you can't. This was one that I absolutely could not control. So now I have a choice. I have a choice of what energy I bring to this diagnosis. Is it going to be one that is going to move me forward or is it one that's going to keep me dwelling on the what ifs and oh, woe is me. And I, and I, I just feel like for me, what I can do with it is hopefully positive. Again, in many ways, this diagnosis was a was a blessing for me. I I found that even in my career, I saw things through a different lens. You know, being in HR, you you deal with things like um, ADA accommodations and FMLA and all those those pieces. You have people that you're you know people will come to you and ask for an accommodation for a certain medical condition. And it was kind of a checkbox for me. And now it's 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 more of a actual personal um, passion, right? To to make sure that we see things through other lens, their lens, not just my own lens. And so um, it's made me a better HR professional. It's helped me to to look at those cases much differently. Um, and it not that I'm saying that you have to have a disability to be able to you know, be empathetic, but it certainly helps. And it's helped me um, really humanize that that particular um, piece of what I do. Um, but I think you have to be intentional about your energy that you bring, but also be intentional about who you let in and what energy you let in. Um, I have been very intentional about that. And, you know, um, the time and energy that I give has to be meaningful for both parties. And, and I think that I am more intentional and thoughtful about that going into it and making sure that I'm surrounding myself with people that bring good energy and good light versus, you know, the, the negative energy that, that kind of sucks the life out of you. You know, you said something, um, earlier and I, uh, would love to dig into that before doing it though. It's really interesting when you say like to be able to look through the lens of someone else and to be able to really see them for the person they are. I, you're right. No, not everybody should have to experience a disease in order to see that, but it's, it's learning from what you're going through that I, I do believe people will hear that. I've heard, you know, even when you shared that with me before, I was like, yes, I, I'd never, you know, it seems sometimes it's just an administrative type thing, or it's a, you know, we just sort of if people can step back for a moment and really think about like, what is this person experiencing and how can I help them think through that? I mean, I think we can learn from each other, right? I mean, I've already learned a ton from you in, in that regard. You know, one of the, it's so interesting too, because like you make it, you do make a choice when you get a diagnosis of whether or not, whether or not you're going to tell people, are you going to be public about it? Are you going to just keep it in? Are you going to tell just your loved ones? And I immediately was like, I'm going to tell the world. Like I, first of all, I can't hide it. 
you know, there's a, there's a visible symptom here, but also, you know, I think it's important. I've always been an open book and I'm not going to change now, but I remember vividly when I got the diagnosis um, and I told people at, at work and I had a colleague say to me, Oh, are you going to step down out of your leadership role? And I just was like, what? Like, why would you even think that? No, actually, I'm going to kill it even more. Like I like this is not going to this is not going to deter me from from reaching the goals that I have set forth. Right. I mean, I'm still going to be able to grow and learn and do the do my job. Um, it just might look a little different. I might look a little different. I might sound a little different, but I, I still I'm still going to be who I am and still going to continue to grow in my career. But it was interesting, the reason, and, and this person's a dear friend of mine and meant no ill intent whatsoever. Um, but it made me realize that like, people do see disability as a, you know, as a negative, as a weakness. And just because I have a disability does not mean that I'm not able to do great things. And so I, I, I mean, I've received two promotions since that point. I, you know, I feel like I'm doing a really good job. Um, I love what I'm doing. I have no desire to do to, to not work. In fact, it's the opposite. So, um, but that part of it was just telling to me that even an HR professional would have that as their initial thought, like, oh, she's going to have to step down and not be a leader anymore, or maybe not work as hard. Um, and again, it's just a bias that we have that we don't necessarily intend for it to be negative. I, I, again, I, I didn't bother me at all. It just was eye opening. Like, yeah. And I probably was that person a year before that. I was probably one, I'd probably be the same way. Like, oh, that's really too bad. You know, well, and you educating everyone else, I mean, even beyond the workplace, I think people are seeing it, you know, through a different lens as well, which I know is why you've had so many people continue to say, like, do more Facebook lives, get out there and share your story on podcasts, be able to share it with others. I mean, it's definitely influential. And I know because you've shared this before and you already shared it early in this podcast, which is you couldn't have done it without your tribe around you. So I know you've talked a little bit about some things that, you know, how you had to think about, like, what's the career look like now with the diagnosis? What do I do moving forward? What has been, you know, any transitions or things that you had to do and what's the tribe meant to you that's around you? You know, the tribe means everything, um, absolutely everything from, you know, the, those that are the closest to you to those that are just kind of on the perimeter. But it, it does. I have found that I rely on them more than I ever did before. I was much more independent thinking and like I can I can do whatever I want whenever I want. I was kind of more of that, like, you know, you can't tell me I can't do anything. Well, now physically I can't. And so um, my daughter helps me get ready in the morning and she doesn't even you know, she doesn't ask questions. It's just part of her job. Right. And she, she actually, she told me the other day that she, she doesn't mind doing it. Cause I usually apologize. And she's like, I, I like helping you. And I just find a lot of, um, a lot of peace in that character that we've been able to raise, you know, such great kids, but, um, you know, my husband has been an incredible support. He's, he's the one that does see me on my, my not so good moments. He's the one that gets the brunt of that. And a lot of times it's not fair. Um, you know, if I'm in a bad place, I'm not necessarily the, the, the sweetest about it. <laughs> I'm not sugarcoating it. And so he gets the brunt of that, but he, um, one of the things that he does really well is he's, he does take care of me and he, um, I wouldn't have been able to, to manage, you know, especially having young, young children through this diagnosis without having him be such an incredible dad and, and husband. So, um, my parents, my in-laws are 
my biggest supporters. They're there hundred percent. Like I just, I can't go. I, I, and even my, my, um, care, t- my, um, care team from physical therapists from, I still have an orthopedics surgeon who he's the one who actually found the correlation from sh- the sh- shoulder, um, pain to Parkinson's, which I had never even, he found research. Like they they are just a great care team. I have a ma- massage therapist that I see every two weeks that, I don't know what I would do without her. She she gives me a good three or four days of relief, which is more than I could ever you know imagine. So even the care team, but you have to surround yourself with people, and you have to be able to let go of of doing everything on your own and accepting that that you need help and people want to help you. And I think that that is what is um, incredible. We also. Um, you kind of talked about surroundings. One of the big things that we we ended up having to make a pretty big decision, which was to move out of the house that we thought was going to be kind of our forever home, or at least until the kids were in um, college. But um, it was two stories and the laundry room was on the main floor and our bedroom was on the second floor. And I was starting to fall because I couldn't carry laundry baskets up and down the stairs. And so we made the decision to to build a home handicap accessible um, for so that I don't have to have visible reminders of stairs, which every time I walk up to a stair, I, I panic a little bit because I don't know if my leg's going to work or not, if I'm going to fall. Um, so we have a ranch, laundry's on the main floor. The kids have their own laundry in the basement. So I don't have to carry laundry baskets up and down. And I don't even have to think about that stress. It eliminated a whole level. I mean, you don't, you don't realize that getting up in the morning and buttoning your pants is going to stress you out? Or am I going to be able to put earrings on today? If is somebody going to be home to help me? Those are things that, you know, gosh, as I say, and they sound, it sounds so petty, but you just, it's, it's, it changes your whole, it changes your whole, um, you know, life, your, your process of how you actually even get ready in the morning. And, and you feel like you can't um, do the things that you should be able to do. And it can be incredibly frustrating, but if you don't have people that are around you that are that are helping you, um, I can only imagine, you know, how depressing that would be. And I'm just very grateful that I have such an awesome, strong group of friends and colleagues and my employer is incredible. Um, you know, I, I just, I've really lucked out. I've really lucked out in that respect. Um, I just, I can't, I can't imagine it being any different because it would be a bit unbearable, I think. Well, I'll go back to a beginning part of it because I know that you've you just shared this too, which was that you're lucky that you've had all these great people around you. And I'll say this from the beginning. I think there's even just a lesson that's the Melissa Carpenter lesson here, which is if you live your life and say things like they are, you end up surrounding yourself with the right things that are supposed to be there for you when you need them. I really believe that. Yeah, I believe I that that's the reason why you have this because you've, you actually set your life up that way. Yeah. You didn't know it, but you did. Yeah, I didn't. That's, that's kind of an aha for me, Marnie. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. But. Well, you've shared so many lessons. I mean, I was even jotting down some things as you were speaking, just even throughout the story and of your journey and the path that you're on. I know that you're obviously going through and pursuing the surgery Mm-hmm. here in the new year, which I'm, I am super excited to learn more about to see how that goes for you. Yeah, I'm Before, excited too. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and um, so I, I can't wait to hear more and how it's working. Before we transition to you sharing a little bit more about where people can find you, because I know people are going to want to connect with you. I know they're going to want to follow your journey and learn more from you. But 
since I ask everyone who joins me on my show, what is a life lesson in general that has had an impact on you? And I'd just love to give you a moment to share that now. Yeah. You know, I, I've been thinking about this as, as most of the people on your, on your podcast do probably overthink it, but I'll be honest with you. The life lesson that has changed me more than anything else really has nothing to do with Parkinson's, but of course it has helped me is that you might be the problem, meaning I might be the problem. I, I was at a, um, I used to speak at HR conventions across the country and I was next in line and I was listening to kind of the person in front of me. And, and one of the things that they were talking about was that, um, you know, you might be your difficult person's difficult person. And I was like, whoa, this is heavy. Like I even wrote it down because I knew I was gonna need to reflect on it. Um, but once I realized that I might be the problem, like if there's a breakdown or if there's something that doesn't feel well, or I walk out of a meeting and I'm like, oh, that wasn't great. Um, instead of blaming like so-and-so showed up to work in a negative way, or maybe it was something, how I approached the situation or my mindset at the time, because I can't control anything that anybody else does around me. As much as we would all love to, none of us can. All I can control is how I react and respond in those moments. So if I can actually humble myself enough to go, Melissa, you might actually be the problem here or might be a part of the problem, then there's something I can actually tangible I can do then. Like, what is that so that I can actually fix it or choose not to fix it and move on? Um, but that has probably been the, the best. If I could teach my kids something, you know, that would, I would love for them to adopt that, that you might be the problem because what it does is it softens you. It softens your approach to the problem. It softens if you can have some accountability in it, then, then you can actually, I find that it actually gives you the, the, the right tools to then engage in, if it's a conflict with somebody uh, to engage in that conversation in a way that they're actually receptive to rather than coming into it with, with the mindset of them, that they're the problem. Um, I just think it changes you, it changes your whole mindset. It changes your whole approach, which approach to me is everything. And I think that that's probably been the, the greatest life lesson for me. And it has helped me in my Parkinson's journey, but, um, but more so just in life. I think it's incredible. I mean, it's a powerful lesson for everybody to be reminded of. Look, yeah. look at yourself first. Yep. Yep. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Before we sort of say our goodbye, I, I would love for you to share how can people get in contact with you or how can they follow you on your journey if they are interested in doing so? Yeah, well, I would say that they could start with LinkedIn, um, finding me on LinkedIn and messaging me there will be the best way to, to get in touch with me. Um, I do have most of my journey on Facebook, but I would probably want to get to know the person a little bit prior to um, uh, accepting the friend request on Facebook. But um, but yeah, LinkedIn is going to be the best way to, to get in touch with me. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, this is I'm glad that you chose to be a person that shares what's going on with the rest of the world, because I know that I've learned a ton from you and I know other people are going to be learning a ton from you and you are really inspirational. I want you to know that. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I love what you're doing and um, I wish much, much success for you as well. Thank you, Melissa. All right, take care.